All right, so we are in Exodus chapter 15. As we come here, this is chapter is known as the Song of Moses, at least the first half of it is. And um, he's going to write, he's going to celebrate the good things that God has just done as they have fully made it out of Egypt and they are now on the other side of the Red Sea. So let's begin reading at verse 1. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he casts into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. And in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath. It consumed them like stubble. And with, this, with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright like a heap. The depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders, You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. And in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. The people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab trembling will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them. By the greatness of your arm, they will be as a stone. Till your people pass over, O Lord. Till the people pass over whom you've purchased. You will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance. In the place, O Lord, which which you have made for your own dwelling. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. For the horses of Pharaoh went with his chariots and horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. So that's the song that Moses wrote as he did this. Uh, Just imagine, um, it says that this is the song that they were singing. Imagine how many people... What, what, what that thunderous roar would have sounded like to have some two, two and a half million people that just saw these events take place. I think that would have been a rather lively worship service. What do you think? I don't think anybody would have been like, I don't know. I don't know about this song. I mean, there would have been such uh, a, a vivid reminder 
Um, it was, ju- I mean, they were still living in that moment and they watched this take place. And, and really, for them, they became a people of praise, but all of us are to become a people of praise. It's a pretty easy passage to read through here and, and to just begin to think about it in terms of your own salvation and how the Lord has delivered you and how he's parted the waters of salvation and he's brought you through the other side. How Jesus stepped in and he triumphed over the enemy. He took Satan's plan to lead man into sin and to destroy his faith, to separate him from ever for God and the Lord destroyed that on the cross. And so we can read of this salvation that they experienced at the Red Sea and we can easily relate it to our own. In verses 1 through 3, he rejoices in God's strength. He saw it with his own eyes. He saw not only the ten plagues that took place in Egypt, but now he's just watched the crowning of all the miracles that God did, and that is the, the parting of the Red Sea. It is written in spectacular fashion. The poet is writing of the depths of the sea and the army sinking like lead and the walls of the water being like a uh, water being like walls congealed like like uh, uh, you know curdled milk is kind of I think the way this word is used in other places. I mean it's just they are amazed and they're walking through this river and they're like God your strength your power is Amazing, but it's true for us as well that the Lord's strength is there for us. We're the people of the Lord. God is the same um, today as He was back then. He does not change. He can perform any miracle at any time. He can see you through and He will hold you through. And this needs to become our song. Our hope and our rejoicing should not be in a man, it should not be in a solution, it should not be in. A doctor's report, our hope is in the Lord. And our eyes should be firmly set upon him. You know, those who would look at this, and I don't even mean um, believers who would say that there was a large body of water, fresh body of water that uh, Israel crossed through. I I believe that he actually did cross through that Red Sea down in the south. Um, But those that who are not believers and don't believe this was a miracle um, will say, no, these... The, the armies of, of Egypt, they just simply, uh, you know, they, they got overcome in a marsh. They got bogged down, and, and that's all that happened. I mean, then th- this song seems kind of embarrassing, doesn't it? I mean, if that's all that happened is that we somehow found the dry ground to walk across, and yet Egypt and their chariots and their horsemen, they all got stuck in the mud, and they had to really fight to get out. And, and now we're sitting around and we're singing this song that they sank like lead into inches of mud. I'm, I'm not buying it. I'm not singing this song if I'm there. I'm like, okay, this is, this is a little bit, you know, we're, you know, speaking evangelistically now of what God has done, you know. And, and we, we can do that. God does great things. And yet we can just like exaggerate it and not really rightly represent it. And, and I think we got to be careful. that I would not have been singing this song like this. I'd have been like, I think we need a new song. I think we need to rewrite this. I think we need some different metaphors. Them sinking like lead, you know, walls of water, um, congealed. I'm just not seeing this. The depths of the sea, we're only talking about a few inches of water. And that's what some say happened here. I mean, how how do you sing this song and keep a, you know, a serious face about yourself? You can't. They are writing about the things. And, and not only that, I mean, even if you could buy the idea that this is what took place and, 
I, the scripture does not declare it at all. But even if you do, how do you come up with the idea that the enemies are going to hear in the land of Palestine when they go and make their journey up into the promised land that they're going to remember 40 years later? what took place, and that their heart is going to become like a stone and it's just going to sink in dread of the God who had parted the Red Sea. They're not going to even recall this story if all that had happened. Would the story even make it outside of Egypt? It might be reported in the local papers, but is it going to be in the international papers? I don't think so. But that the Red Sea parted and the entire Egyptian army was drowned and, you know, two million people were set free. Well, that's going to be remembered for some time, isn't it? And, and this is what Moses is writing of as a miraculous deliverance, one of the most spectacular miracles in all of Scripture. And, and so they're singing and they are rejoicing, but it, it is that picture of um, the redemption that we have. In verse 13, we see that this redemption, he says, you in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. It is the mercy of God that's led to our redemption as well. We are not saved because we are so good. We are not saved because of our righteousness. We're not saved because God says, you guys have really been working hard at it, so here you go. We're saved because of the mercy of God. Not because of our works. God looks upon us and he sees us in our need and he has mercy upon us. And maybe that's why you've even discounted yourself. Thinking that God would not want to save you. He would not want to work and move in your life. Because I haven't measured up. I haven't done the kinds of things I should do to earn God's salvation and his forgiveness. Listen, you can't. It's mercy. When somebody shows you mercy, it means you're in the position of of, of uh, them being able to exact something upon you because of your failure. And when somebody has mercy, it means that they're willing to overlook, they're willing to look past what you have done to them and to say, okay, and they release you. You are redeemed from that debt. You are redeemed from those consequences. And this is what the Lord had done for them. And this is what the Lord has done for us. In his son, Jesus Christ. The, the soul that sins will surely die. You know, the wages of sin is death. You know, it's our sins that have separated us, our iniquities that have separated us from God. What could we possibly do to bridge that gap? And the answer is nothing. We can't do anything. And if it was at all, Jesus even asked the Father this question right before he went to the cross to die. In the garden, as he was praying, before he is arrested, he said, if there's any other way that man can be redeemed, Lord, I pray that you would let this cup pass. But nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. And the Lord, the Father's answer was, there's only one way that man's going to be redeemed. And that is, son, you're going to go to the cross and your, my wrath is going to be poured out upon you for their sin. And so we are redeemed by God's mercy, but it even goes beyond mercy, doesn't it? It goes into grace. Mercy is just having what you owe removed. Now grace takes it a, a step further, and it actually pours out blessing upon you. And so, you know, somebody, you may ask somebody, say, hey, just have mercy on me. Just have mercy. All right, all right fine, I'm going to forget about it. And by the way, can I borrow $10,000? Don't push it. Right? Don't push it. I'm going to let this in, but don't, don't be asking for I'm not ready for that yet. But the Lord... 
I mean, he is he's merciful, but he also is gracious. And so they are singing of this. But it is through God's mercy. Um, turn with me to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. I want to read verses 6 through 22. As you're moving that way, I mentioned it already, but in, it's the verses 14 through 18 where the Lord speaks of how he wants them to have faith for the future battles and that there'll be dread in the inhabitants of Canaan as they make their way in there. But God knew they wouldn't have faith for these battles. He needed to teach them. He needed to instruct them. And let's read this recounting of God's good works in the nation of Israel. So that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they might arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set its heart aright and whose spirit was not faithful to God. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They did not keep the covenant of God. They refused to walk in his law and forgot his works and his wonders that he had shown them. Marvelous things he had did in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through. He made the water stand up like a heap. In the, in the daytime, also he led them with the cloud and all the night with the light. Of fire, He split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink in abundance like the depths. He also brought streams out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. But they sinned even more against him by rebelling against the Most High in the wilderness. And they tested God in their heart by asking for the food of their fancy. Yes, they spoke against God. They said, God cannot prepare a table in the wilderness. Behold, he struck the rock so that the waters gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he give us bread also? Can he provide meat for his people? Therefore the Lord heard this and was furious. So a fire was kindled against Jacob and anger came up against, the, against Israel because they did not believe in God, nor did they trust in his salvation. So the Lord is doing these things. And he is trying to prepare them, but he knows they are not ready. He knows they are not going to believe. And we'll see this as we move through, and that they are not going to be the generation that actually ends up going into the promised land, are they? It's going to be the next generation. It's going to be their children that go in. And so these lessons, although you would have hoped they would have provided for that immediate generation the necessary confidence that their God was able to work and move, it is not going to be them. They are that rebellious and stubborn generation. It will be their children that will believe. But it's going to be these accounts and these miracles that they will draw upon as they step in. And so then they're rejoicing in the Lord. They're celebrating. And then that was the Song of Moses. In verses 20 and 21, we then get his sister who also rejoices in song before the Lord. Miriam, we read in verse 20, the prophetess. The sister of Aaron took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. So this is just a high time of worship and celebration and thanksgiving. And this is who we should be. 
This is who we should be. We should be that, that people who is constantly praising the Lord and thanking the Lord. And you may be at this time thinking, yeah, but you know what? Hard things happen. Yes, they do. Hard things in this life do happen. And that's actually what we're going to see as we move on. And to the end of this chapter, verse 22, its difficulty is going to hit them. Look at verse 22 with me. It says, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? You think it's bad in your minivan when your kids are wanting to pull over and get a drink or something. Imagine having two and a half million people asking you for a drink. So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. And said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. I am uh, Yahweh Rapha, Jehovah Rapha. Then they came to Elam, where there were uh, 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. So they camped there by the waters. So... They go to this place. They're leaving. They're celebrating. They're rejoicing. You can hear them humming for maybe the first day and a half. Right? Once they leave. The song's still in their head. <laughs> you know, they're singing that song. That really is a good song. I love that part where it says they sunk, they sank like lead. I like the part where the blast of his nostrils. And you can imagine just a, do you remember saying, I saw this one guy. And you, you can imagine the stories that are being shared. But a day and a half in there, all of a sudden, there's no, more, there's no more humming of this song. Would you be quiet with that song already? We've got bigger problems right now. And, you, and this discontentment begins to set into them. This heart of disbelief begins to settle into them. And they are wondering, are we going to live or are we going to die? And so they begin to play, complain against Moses. Now, here's the question. Who is leading the children of Israel through the wilderness? It's not Moses. They're following the pillar, aren't they? Remember what we read that if the pillar moved, they moved. If the pillar of uh, fire, smoke stays there um, in that place, they stayed. If it stayed for you know, two weeks, they stayed for two weeks. If it was there for one day and it moved, then they moved. So the Lord is the one that's leading them. I'm sure Moses is like... <laughs> What do you mean? Me? I, I, your complaint is against God. Uh, we're following his manifested presence. And so why are you crying to me to give them something to the drink? Well, he takes it to the Lord, and the Lord does show them what to do. And so they have this test. And, and you, this is maybe what your life feels like. You, you, you know Calvary. You know the deliverance that you've had. You do rejoice in it. You love to sing those songs. But you know what? When I walk out these doors, there's a bitter experience I'm going to have to deal with. I'm in the midst of this bitter experience right now. It is not pleasant. It is not sweet. It is not joyful. There's no song to be sung. But that's what the natural man or woman would say, right? 
because we know better. Just as the Lord instructed Moses to take a tree and to throw it in the water, making a bitter experience sweet, so the Lord has taken a tree and he's made all of our bitter experiences sweet. Let me read to you Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. That's bitter. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. We had a bitter experience of being separated from God in our sin. And Jesus came and he added a tree to the equation. And he hung upon the tree and he took the bitter experience of our sin and death and he makes it sweet. We look at the cross and it is a dark, sad thing. To think of God in the flesh, the creator of the universe, hanging on the, on the cross with the sin of humanity on him. And the Father is pouring out of his wrath. This is a dark day. As a matter of fact, a physical darkness came over the land of Israel, representing how dark it was. But we also know that Jesus on that tree made that dark experience of ours something sweet and refreshing. And so we have life. And, and what we need to remember, all of us need to remember, while we're humming the song, is that there is going to be a bitter experience that's going to come. There's going to be some set of, you know, a set of news that's going to come through family, through a doctor, through circumstances. And how am I going to respond? Listen, do any of us think this morning that we are never going to have another difficult and bad day? Do, do we think that there's not going to come a time when it is the worst day of our life? If we live long enough, and I pray that you do live a nice long life, then we're going to watch those people we know and love pass. We're going to experience, you know, our own body, our spouses, our, you know, maybe things with our children. We're going to experience. Don't think that, you know, because you've come to the Lord that now no bad thing will ever come upon me. No. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. And so we know that hard days, we know we're going to land at you know, destinations and stops in our walk through this life, and there is going to be a bitter experience. But you know what? Jesus will make it sweet. Romans 5 through through 5 says, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given us. But why do we have to have tribulation? Why do we have to have it? Well, we live in a fallen world. We have an enemy who's bringing difficult things upon us. But in this fallen world, we have, um, you know, a reigns on the righteous and the unrighteous. The sun comes upon the righteous and the unrighteous. Bad doctor reports, uh, uh, reports come upon the righteous and the unrighteous. Things happen in this world. This is not heaven. We're going to heaven. And where none of those things will take place. But at this point in time, we do have those bitter experiences. And we all need to learn how to look to the Lord and how to cling to him. Adding the finished work of Christ will make those circumstances sweeter. It doesn't mean that 
the, the situation is going to go away, but that we can handle that situation differently. Let me give you an example. The death of a loved one is made sweeter with the hope of what Jesus Christ did on the tree for us. That on the cross, that we know that they've passed from this life, but they are in the presence of the Lord. Oh, we miss them, and we grieve for them, and that, that loss of you know, uh, companionship in this life. But if they've died in the Lord, then we know they're in the presence of the Lord. It is so much easier to handle the passing of a loved one knowing that they too had their faith in Jesus Christ. The bad news of a doctor appointment is made sweeter knowing that one day Jesus is going to transform these bodies. It, we, may, we are told to pray for healing. We anoint and we heal. Sometimes the Lord does that. Sometimes the Lord doesn't. And I do not buy that if we just have enough faith that everybody will be healed every single time. I don't believe it. There's no verse for that. As a matter of fact, there's verses in the Bible that says God has limited the age of man. And we pretty much can look and see that even the most faithful of the saints live only the average age. And so you don't find people. I mean, listen, if it's true that if we just had enough faith in Jesus, we could have every bitter doctor's appointment turned around and that we would never be sick, then couldn't we have at least one saint that's 300 years old, please, just one? In 2,000 years of church history, we can't even get one? We can't even get one to 200 years old? What does this say? This says that God at times will heal. He has told us to come and anoint with oil and pray. And we are glad to do that. And we would encourage you, if you have something going on in your body, give God the first opportunity to work in your life. Come and let us pray for you. Let's do what the scripture says. And we'll trust the Lord. But this trip that is put on people, that if you would just have enough faith, your loved one would be made well. Listen. I just I pray you're released from that today. Uh, I, that loved one in, who has gone away into the presence of the Lord, who didn't receive that healing, if you could text them right now and say, I finally have enough faith. I'm going to the cemetery now. I'm about to stand there over your grave, and just like Lazarus, you're about to, I, I believe it, and, and, and this will say somehow you knew this could be true. What do you think the text from heaven would say? I'm not coming. I'm not going. I am chaining myself to, you know, something in heaven. I am not leaving this spot. You'll be fine. Don't take me away from here. And so knowing these things, it, it does make the passing of that loved one sweeter. It's not that it takes it away and we don't miss them. Of course we miss them. The bitter reality of circumstances are lifted when we remember that God will work all things together for his glory, right? He's working. And he's, but I don't understand. Hmm. Yeah, that's like all of us. We're all in this category of having things in our life we don't understand. Why does this have to happen? I don't know. I think of these things in my own life. I think of things that I see happen to, to you. I, I think of things that go on in my family. I'm like, Lord, why? why? I don't, I'm not saying you're not faithful and sovereign. I'm just wondering, why, Lord? Why, why does this happen? And, and sometimes the Lord will give answers to these things, and sometimes he doesn't. But this is what I ponder in my mind. I wonder if the answer could be, 
Because you need it, Troy. You need it. I know what's happening in your life. And I know that this thing that's going to make you limp a little bit is going to make you depend on me more. You need to be depending on me. And I would say, Lord, if that's what I need to arrive in your presence, you know, you know, crossing that finish line and entering into prison, then Lord, give me a limp, and if necessary, give me two. Because I don't want to miss out. We don't know what the Lord is doing. We don't know what God is going to do in, through my limp in somebody else's life. And so the Lord is at work, and we just have to trust him. And knowing that he's at work makes those circumstances not quite so bitter. It makes them sweet. And so in a very similar way, <clears throat> he promises them that they won't go through their diseases if they obeyed, something they did not do. But it was quite a promise that was given there in verse 26. And then in verse 27, they come to, you know, the 12 wells and the 70 palm trees. You know, this is just life, isn't it? You have some triumphant experience and the Lord has done something amazing and then you go into a bitter experience and you come out of that bitter experience and you just kind of come into a little bit of a rest. It's not the Red Sea again, but it's sure a welcome spot. The, those palm trees and those wells were always there. And they just kind of, as a journey, they came to that which was along the way. And, and we're going to have a life like this. We're going to have those things that are the bitter waters of Mara. We're going to have those moments where we come to Elam, where we see the 12 wells of water and the 70 palm trees. So this is life. We're going to journey through. We should not be surprised at the ups and the downs. We need to just keep marching. So the Lord takes care of them. He spares them from dying of thirst in the land. They're complaining against, you know, Moses. And we come into chapter 16, and we come to this famous chapter of the manna. So let's read together about the bread of life that he supplies for the children of Israel. Verses 1 through 3. <clears throat> And they journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of sin. Don't think like transgression. Think of like the area of Sinai, and so the wilderness of sin. So down in the, the southern tip of um, the Sinai, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, they departed from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. What? What? Yeah, it was better there. It would have been good there when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate the bread to the full. For you brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Yeah, but what about the... What about the slavery part? Did, do you not recall that? Yeah, all we can recall is we had pots full of meat. Yeah, but what about your children that you were having to throw into the Nile? Yeah, that was bad, but we had meat. I mean, this is the mentality that they've, slept, they've slipped into. And they're, they're, they're just fleshly. They're thirsty, and they get angry. They get hungry, and they get hangry, right? I mean, this is, this is what they are, how they're responding. And God is testing their devotion. Verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them. Not circumstances. Not just kind of the way things happened in life. This is, I will test them. 
they, whether they will walk in my laws or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Then Moses and Aaron said to the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. So he's, he's gonna, there's going to be this supply of food, and he says, but I'm doing this that I might know what is in your heart. I recommend that you, and I don't have time to go there, but read Deuteronomy chapter 8. So where it says, I will test them, maybe just write a little line off to the side and read Deuteronomy chapter 8, because you have an expanded statement of the Lord about that testing. So he promises, I'm gonna, five days, you're going to go out and collect food. Um, on the sixth day, you'll get twice as much as you normally do. And on the seventh day, um, you will rest. And so this is for two and a half million people that they're going to have this. Verse 7, in the morning, you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. All right, you're not complaining against me, you're complaining against the Lord. But what are we that you should complain against us? Also, Moses said, this shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening <clears throat> and in the morning bread to the full. The Lord hears your complaints, which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses spoke to Aaron, say to all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. Now it came to pass, as Aaron spoke, to the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them at twilight, you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. I'm, going to I'm testing you, and I'm going to do this, and the result is going to be you're going to know that I am Yahweh, that I can, I can sustain you through all of these circumstances. And in verse 7, um, what we, um, in verse 13, excuse me, what we end up finding is that the provision comes, and they're going to have um, this you know, quail is going to come in. They're going to have this substance that we call manna. Let's read verse 13. So it was that quail came up at evening and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? Manna. That's what it means, manna. For they did not know what it was. So Moses said to them, this is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. And so this bread was with them for 40 years every single morning, at least six days out of seven. This bread was there. Now, where did all the quail come from? Well, this is something that um, has a natural explanation with the miraculous of timing. Timing is everything, isn't it? I mean, the Red Sea parted on a perfect day for the children of Israel, don't you think? Uh, you know, somebody's staying there fishing. You should have been here last week. It parted. It was amazing. You guys could have gone across. Should have been here last week. Timing is very, very important. And, and what happens here, it's a common thing that the uh, quail would make their way across the Red Sea, and then as they would come, they would be... They would fall to the ground, and the Lord just made certain that, you know, these quail were extremely tired until they got over the camp. 
over of, of Israel, and they all fell to the ground. They had all the meat that they wanted. And then they had the bread, and they were supplied with bread from heaven for all of these years. That is quite an astounding miracle that the Lord did for them. Verse 16, this thing which the Lord has commanded, let every man gather it according to each one's need. One omer uh, for each person according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those who are in his tent. Then the children of Israel did so. Some gathered more, some less. So they are going to do this. Now here's the interesting thing. Turn with me um, over to John chapter 6, verse 32. John 6, verse 32. And Jesus is going to pick up on this story. He has fed the 5,000 there in the wilderness around the Sea of Galilee. And they're wanting another meal. And Jesus goes on to give them instruction. We see that this manna, this bread that's on the ground each morning provided by God, is a typology, a symbolic of Jesus himself. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me will by no means be cast out. Verse 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all that he's given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up. At the last day, this bread sustained them physically in the wilderness. But it was a picture of the bread that God would send down in his son, Jesus, that is, is, takes up this picture of himself. And he says, I am the bread. And if you eat of me, if you drink of me, you're going to have everlasting life. What's being said here by Jesus in John chapter 6 is, I'm the only way. If you want to have life during life and you want to have life after this life, then you must come to me and put your faith and your trust in me. And then you will be able to uh, have everlasting life. There's no other way. Jesus is it. There's only been one encounter with God taking on human flesh and coming and dwelling among men. And that is Jesus, God in the flesh. He's not simply a, a, a godly man. He's not just simply a prophet like other men. He is the God-man. He is the creator. He walked in the midst of creation. He says, this is what you need to do. You must put your faith and trust in me. And you know, when we do that, the psalmist tells us, he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Psalm 107 verse 9. If you eat and drink of the Lord, you're going to be satisfied. Again, the psalmist says in Psalm 145, verse 16, you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. You will find the satisfaction of your soul as you eat and as you come and drink of the Lord. And Psalm uh, Isaiah 55, verses 1 and 2 says, 
Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen to me carefully, and eat what is good, and let your soul delight itself in abundance. So the Lord is, the, is this picture that was uh, of the manna. He is that bread that has come down. Well, as you read through the rest of this section, what you're going to see in verses 19 through 31, um, Israel disobeys God in the instruction. It was very simple. Get enough for each day until you get to the sixth day. Collect twice as much. But, you know, they don't do that. They decide they're going to collect a, a bunch and have it left over. And then the next morning they don't have to get up early. And they can sleep in and they can rest. So we'll collect three or four days worth of stuff. And we don't have to go out there every day. Let's be, you know, let's be efficient with our time. Oh, it might have been efficient, but it wasn't very effective, was it? Because it bred worms, we read there in verse 24. And it began to stink. And this is true. When we disobey the Lord, our lives begin to stink. And there begins to be a stench and something that's unpleasant in it. But what we need to do is simply follow the Lord. This was meant to be something, or this was meant to be a test to see if they would obey. And they fail the test. And yet they are going to eat this. It was a bread-like substance. Um, you see in verse 30, it says the people of 31, and the house of Israel called its name manna. And it was like white coriander seed and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. So there's a sweetness to it. This is not only a picture and a, a, an example for us of the need for us to come and eat of the bread of life of Jesus, that we might have life during life and life in life to come, but this also becomes a picture of how we need to daily get our sustaining strength in the Lord. We need to have those daily times of going out and collecting this bread, the, you know, the, the word of God, and eating and digesting this and giving us strength. It's like, well, I, you know, I, I, you know, I, I can have a quiet time for an hour, and then I'm going to go four or five days and not have another quiet time. It's going to stink, guys. Your, your life is going to begin to to take on attitudes that aren't right. You're going to begin to have temptation. You see, the word of God will sustain you and make you strong spiritually. So yes, we come to the Lord and we eat of him and we receive him as our Lord and Savior. But also, we must daily be partaking of him. We must daily be communing with him and having that time together. And you know what's going to happen as we spend time with him? We're going to take on the fragrance of Christ rather than the stench of disobedience. The stench of doing it on our own. Isn't it amazing? And every one of us knows it to be true that the, when I don't spend time in the presence of the Lord, my flesh just begins to take on a, a more prominent role in my life. Day after day, it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And you know what flesh does? Flesh stinks. And then we begin to walk in things and begin to have attitudes that are, that are not pleasing. And so we need to daily be getting alone with the Lord. There is no substitute for that. And I pray that this is something that you are doing that, that you are very familiar of, uh, with. 
We close there in verse 32. It says, Then Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord commanded. Fill an omer uh, with it to be kept for your generations, that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a pot and put an omer of manna in it and lay it up before the Lord to keep it for your generations as the Lord commanded Moses. So Aaron laid it in the testimony before the testimony to be kept. And the children of Israel ate manna 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Now an omer is one-tenth of an ephah. So God sustained his people. And the Lord will sustain you. He's going to sustain me. Your, your circumstances might be difficult. They might be hard. It might feel like a wilderness. But, you know, come to the Lord and then keep coming to the Lord. There is no substitute for meeting with Jesus. No person, no deliverance is going to do it. There's only one thing that will make your life sweet in those bitter circumstances of life. It's that's the Lord, and there's only one thing that's going to sustain you, and that is the Lord. And so we see how he is instructing them to lean upon them and to trust in him. Now, when Jesus was with his disciples... And he was sharing the communion service. He took the bread and what did he say? He goes, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. And so we get to share. We get to eat of this bread. And we got kind of like the whole historical backdrop now of the significance of bread. The manna and Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. And then him saying, I want you to eat of the bread. His body was broken as he went to the cross. We're going to drink of the cup. It reminds us of his blood that was shed. And I pray the Lord will just speak to your heart and he'll be reminding you of, of the great triumph, right? The, the songs of praise that we can sing for the way in which the Lord delivered us. But also is to think about the way we need to be drinking of him and we need to be eating of him on a daily basis. If quiet times have gone to the side, if fellowship with the Lord has gone to the side, may you be warned by the Spirit of the Lord and the testimony of what happens to, happened to Israel, let's partake of him. And if you're here and you've never received Christ as your Savior, then we pray that you would do that. We'll be up in front after the service is over and have opportunity for you to put your faith and trust in Jesus. But quite simply, you just call upon him. And you say, Lord, I need to be saved. I know I need to be sustained. I know that I need to be forgiven of my sin. And I am ready to follow you. I am ready to trust in you. And he will receive you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. As we prepare our hearts to eat and drink from this table that you've prepared, we ask that you would comfort us and you would strengthen us. Lord, we would be reminded of the great triumph and how you have parted the waters of salvation for us in even a grander and more spectacular way than you did at the Red Sea. You sent your son to make a way through the depths for us. And we are grateful. So Lord, remind us, refresh our hearts, we pray. In the name of Jesus.